0: Hey, my name is Suzanne, but on the internet and in my writing, I go by the name Suzy G. Welcome to the first episode of, are we allowed to talk about this yet? It's a podcast about death for people trying to live. Episodes will include topics like the death of loved ones, the death of marriages, the death of belief systems, and the death of goals and expectations. Because here's the thing I've learned about death. It's never the end of anything. The change in growth that follows any kind of death can be profound but it's always complicated and layered and nuanced. And sometimes it's difficult and uncomfortable to talk about, but it's so important to talk about. So we're going to, we're going to talk about it and we're going to destigmatize some shit surrounding death. And with that, we're going to heal and we're going to grow to be different and changed and stronger. The first few episodes of this podcast will deal with the death of a spouse when the marriage is already on life support. Episode one is my story or part of my story. I was married for 18 years, the last seven of which my husband was very ill. In November 2016, we had the divorce talk, and four weeks after, he died. The death of my spouse came literally during the death of my marriage. What followed was a complicated mess of emotions, number one being guilt, because no one told me the emotions I was experiencing were perfectly normal. People think grief looks like one specific thing, but it doesn't. It looks like a lot of things. In a conversation led by Nick Flora, I'm going to try to explain what it actually looked like. The slow death of my marriage and the sudden death of my husband. I finally feel like I'm allowed to talk about it, so here I go.
1: So how old were you when you got married?
0: I was 22.
1: And so young.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I was really young.
1: So what's the... Can you tell me about that?
0: Uh... So we dated about a year and a half before we got married and we broke up a few times, a bunch of times, had a couple different wedding dates cuz we would like get engaged, break up, get back together, get engaged again, set another date. Our parents stopped believing us that we were going to like these actually en- get so married. So these
1: engagements were celebrated. They were like a, an announcement kind of engagement.
0: Yes. We had more than one like an, like invitation printed up. So Um, but our parents kind of stopped believing that, you know, we're actually gonna get married. Um, but I ended up getting pregnant. And so at that point, my mom was like, you don't have to get married. Because, you know, my mom had gotten pregnant and not got married. And, and so she was like, you don't have to get married. Like she was, and I was like, no, like, this is, this is good. Like, I feel like this is, you know, supposed to happen so that we can like really make this work. So we had already we had broken up. I had started dating someone else. I don't know if he was dating anybody else. But I had gone on a date or two with uh, another person. Found out I was pregnant. <laughs> had to tell that guy. <laughs> um, he was super sweet about it, though. And then, um, yeah, told John. and But his parents were like, no, you guys need to get married, like, fast. Like, this is one of those things that, like, you know, forever you want to be able to fudge the math type of a thing. Okay. Cuz it was a religious so, thing too. Yes, for sure. So, um yeah, so we got married speedy quick. Um we got married in October. I was I don't know how many like 3 3 months pregnant, maybe. How did he um, take it when you told him you were pregnant? Um
1: Do you remember that conversation?
0: I I don't. Interesting. I remember telling my mom because my mom, my mom's first reaction to anything when I was like, mom, I have to like, I have to tell you something. Or like, mom, like, I want to talk I'm to pregnant. you. She's like, you're pregnant. And so f- she finally got her wish. Like she <laughs> I was like, mom, like I have to tell you something. She's like, you're pregnant. And I was like, yes. And she's like, really? Like she was actually. I mean, when
1: you told her you were moving here, she did ask if you were pregnant. <laughs> did. <laughs> Do you remember anything about like how he reacted if you don't remember the specifics, do you remember, like, overall feelings? Was it kind of a, I guess we're going to do this? Was it, like, we're in love again? Oh, my, like, this is renewed everything? It, it seemed,
0: I think for him, it was, like, okay, it, it made, I feel like it made the decision of whether or not we should be together, whether or not we should, because we kept going, like, just flip-flopping back and forth. Um when we really just should have made like a clean break and for whatever reason we could never do like the clean break thing. We had to just like it was just messy and whatever all the time. Um and so I think it was like, well, this okay, like that made the decision for us. Like, okay, so we're going to we're going to be together and like let's, you know, let's get married, let's like make this work and it was like that thing where I think after the initial both of us were just like holy crap. Um it was like a unifying thing where it's like, okay, we're gonna like we're gonna do this, we're gonna like make this work, we're gonna. And so, I remember him. I remember him being very scared to like tell his dad. Um, and I remember him telling his mom. Like he said, he told his mom, and his mom was like, "No, you like you, you're gonna tell your dad," and he was like, "Scared to tell his dad." And I don't actually remember how that went down. If he ended up telling his dad or if she told him, but anyway. Remember he was like, Oh crap, like he was scared for his dad to find out. But um yeah. That is so weird. I don't remember actually breaking the news to him though.
1: Overall, what was your what was your vibe as a married couple? Was because you said it was kind of back and forth before yeah. like while you were dating, did it sort of snap you into adulthood or was it more of one of those things where it was just kind of more of the same?
0: It was more of the same. Because when you're young I think you know you're young and you're like oh no this is gonna like this is gonna I think you think a kid is gonna bring you together getting married is gonna bring you together it's gonna now make you get along you know you have all the which now I'm older and I know that that is ridiculous a ridiculous thought but when you're young that's what you think or I thought and he thought but we still didn't get along Um, we (laughs) that first year like when I think back to that first year I can't believe we made it through the first year because the first year was so bad. The first year being married um, was just like super depressing, super volatile. Like I was um, sick, just so sick, like being pregnant and working full time. And um, I don't know, it just it was not great. And then, you know, things generally got there were periods of when it was good um, or we got along, but I mean, we were just, we were like mismatched from the get-go and because we were, you know, pretty young when we got married, not crazy young, but we were pretty young and I was a very immature 22 when we got when we got married. Um, like I had no idea at 22 who I was or what I wanted. Like I had no idea what I wanted in a guy. I'm like, he likes me. He seems to like, he's real nice, like he doesn't beat me, like that was like, my bar was set pretty low of like, oh yeah, I could spend my life with this person, like they're not terrible, this is like, this is great, and like I thought I loved him, and you know all the times we (laughs) wouldn't get along, and like we would break up, and like he was totally like, you know, talking to other girls, I don't know, I'm sure he was dating other girls, but um, definitely like talking to other girls, and like that should have been my sign that like he just like he he wasn't into me that way. Like he just was out. Like we should have broken up, but we didn't. So, um, but we just like kind of remained incompatible. And the, and the older we got, and the more we grew as people individually, we just grew for like that. It just we didn't grow together. We grew like, you know, more different. We grew, we grew further apart. Um, but like church was like one thing we had in common that kind of united us so we had church um like in the years that we actually like went to church <laughs> we didn't for a while uh, we really went back to church hardcore um right after zoe was born so
1: your daughter your second kid
0: Mm-hmm. so yeah after our, our second daughter was nine months old we went through like the mormon temple and did the whole thing and like, really kind of committed to going back to church. And so that was, like, that was a unifying thing was church, and then the kids were, like, a unifying thing. Like, we could always talk about the kids. And so, um, but, like, aside from that, like, we were very different people. We were good at different things. We had different interests. We had, um, we didn't have a whole lot of, like, I don't know common touchstones we just didn't I don't know we didn't have a lot in common
1: the things you did have in common did you tend to sort of milk for all it's worth yeah like gravitate to that hold on to that yeah
0: so you know there were like you know like the same like we would watch tv shows together or we like went to the movies together and so dates were okay It was good, especially if we could, like, go out with another couple because then it's, like, even less where you have to, like, talk to one another and realize you have nothing to talk to each other about. If you can, like, put a buffer in there of, like, another couple. Um, And he and I were super good at that. Um, (laughs) Just kind of, you know, playing off other people and – because we could turn it on in front of other people that we got along because we, you know, we could get along. We just – we – we're really surface surface with each, with each other for eighteen years, which is crazy that you can be married to somebody for that long and just be really, you know, figure out how to kind of get along, um, you know, generally, and but not really be deep with that person. It's, so, I, I
1: think it's not that uncommon, and you can speak to this too in like religious circles, especially because there's the whole. Not only are you keeping up appearances. And so we don't want to be the couple that like splits up because people like us as a couple Mm -hmm. and maybe that's part of it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe there's part of it that's, um, you know, because like, no, we don't want to make Jesus sad, essentially Mm -hmm. not to, you know, I have respect for people who are involved in religion. So, but there, there is an element of like, no, God wants God made marriage for us. This is supposed to, you know, what it's supposed to be. And then maybe also just stubborn. So in okay,
0: so I have elements of both of that, so let's go ahead and get to that. Um so we So we're we're both Mormon, family's both Mormon. Um and in the Mormon church, in the LDS in you know, LDS church, uh you get married once you go through the temple and are married in the temple, you are then eternal companions. And so everything you do has eternal consequences. So it's not just like here on Earth, till death do us part, but it's like you are also like eternally like hooked with that person, and you know sealed to your kids for eternity as well. So there are like forever consequences to like the things you do. And if things are good in your marriage, that thought is like so fabulous, you know that like oh it doesn't matter what happens, like we're we're you know eternally like in this together. If things are bad, the idea of being hooked to that person forever makes you depressed beyond, like, anything you can even imagine. Like, the the thought that, like, oh, I not only have to keep doing this for the rest of, like, today and this week and this year, but, like, I get to do this forever. And if you are not – if you are miserable and ha- unhappy and depressed, like, the thought of, like, oh, this is forever and ever is just so depressing. And so – um. There was that element to that, and in the Mormon Church, you don't. I mean, people do get divorced, but it's a it's a big, it's a big no no. Like you just you don't. Um, it's not a willy nilly thing. Um, so, and then I totally had the pride thing as well, where all the women in my family, my grandma, my mom, my sisters, had all been divorced. Um, some of them like multiple times. And so I really, this is terrible, but like I really wanted to be the one woman in my family who like kept her shit together. I'm like, you're going to like stay married. Like you're going to make this work. You're going to be like the one person that can, which is super prideful and also the wrong reason to stay married. But (laughs) that was totally in the back of my mind too, was where I was really stubborn with like, nope, I'm going to like, I'm going to make this work. This is, I'm going to be like the one woman in my family who nails it. Um, but
1: yeah. I think that's common. I think we early on associate divorce or breaking up with a thing that we don't like that is bad, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, God doesn't like this or, you know, my parents got divorced and it affected me. So I never will. Or that person over there that I don't like, like they messed up. So they they get a divorce because, you know, and if your marriage or your divorce doesn't look like, you know, or it looks like. It doesn't look like those things or it doesn't look like somebody else's. You're like, well, we can't get divorced because I'm not like her or like him or like them. I think it's easy to be like, no, this is, you know.
0: It's really interesting because looking at any of the marriages of like my grandma, my mom, my sisters, none of those were good marriages. None of those were marriages they should have stayed in. So that's number one. It's not like I'm looking and being like, well, they should have done that. So now I'm going to do that. Like they absolutely all of them did the right thing by like walking away from that.
1: Well, good marriages don't Um, end.
0: Right. (laughs) Good marriages don't end. No, they don't. But, um, my marriage, in my marriage, like I, there was no physical abuse, which is the thing people look for. Like, that's the thing for whatever reason, that is the benchmark of what makes it okay to walk away. It's like, is your husband beating you? And if your husband's beating you and you have marks, it's Okay. Any other kind of, like, mistreatment, any other kind of behavior, any kind of, it's like, no, we'll just work it out. Like, even though there are elements of, like, you know, uh, emotional abuse and, like, verbal abuse and things like that that are, like, every bit, every bit is, like, devastating as physical abuse. But for whatever reason, especially in religious circles also, um, you know, that's what that benchmark is. That's what makes it, like, okay to walk away. And anything less is like, she's not even trying.
1: Um, At what point uh, in your marriage did your husband get sick?
0: So um, we got married in 98. He got sick the end of 2009. And he had been sick for a couple months. Um,
1: What were the symptoms? Was not
0: feeling well. Um, He just had like really bad abdominal pain. And, like, nausea, um, really bad. And so we found out later, he had been to the ER, like, three times. Um, and then finally they did a scan and saw that he had blood clots on his liver. And they're like, there's your abdominal pain. You've got, like, blood clots and you're not getting, like, blood's not moving through your liver. Um, And so, but that was, like, not the main Root of his illness, so his illness was like he has a blood, he had a blood disorder that made him clot, uh, and the first clots that they found were the ones on his liver. So, but it took over a year to get a correct diagnosis of what he had. They couldn't figure out why he was getting clots, but so it was about, yeah, so it was 2009, so about 11 years into our marriage, he got sick, um, and things just got. You know, as much as things weren't fantastic, and we had kind of, you know, talked about splitting up several times before that. Um, even in
1: your marriage, when while married,
0: yeah, even yeah. So before he got sick, even, um, yeah, we had. How,
1: how frequent were those discussions? Can you remember?
0: <sighs> we, porn was a big thing in our marriage, um, but my views on porn have shifted. A lot of things have shifted now. Um, since he's passed away and since I just, you know, I have different views on things and, you know, time and space and all of that uh, away from events, I think differently on things. But, um, but while we were married, that was, that was a big issue. Um, and I could get on a huge soapbox about what religion does with porn and how it makes it like that much worse. Because we'll, I don't we'll think save that for another podcast. Because <laughs> I could too. <laughs> I just, um, but the shame that he felt surrounding that is what put a, a massive wedge in our marriage, where there was already a wedge, and it, it just made it worse. I made him feel horrible about himself, uh, which made him withdraw even more. Which made, I mean, we just we were already not close, and it made us so not close. And then, you know. Then I'm devastated when I find out that, like, oh, it's not that he's, you know, not sexual. It's that he's not sexual with me, which is, like, devastating. Um, but we would go through those bouts, I don't know, every it, – it, it varied. Sometimes every few months. Sometimes it would be, like, you know –
1: was that always a, a year linchpin or though? Two. Was it? Was it? Did it typically go to? Was it that conversation over and over again?
0: Yes, it was that like over and over. And every time I was like, I'm done. Like I'm so done. I'm so done feeling this way. I'm so done. And it would be, you know, it, we tried counseling. We like did all the, It's like he was like, I'll go to counseling. I'll you know do all these different things. And that wasn't the only issue, but that was a huge
1: issue. Do, can you see now from in hindsight, like, well, it's not my fault that he's not into me because I'm or he wasn't at that moment because there's an you know, incompatibility right. issue.
0: So here's where it all goes back to Neither of us were bad people. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> we were crazy incompatible. Um, we got married for all the wrong reasons. He he married me because it was the right thing to do. There was a sense of obligation there. There was a sense of, like, this is the right thing. This, like, this is the right thing to do. And, which makes me so sad for him. <laughs> um, you know, that, that that's why he landed on the person to marry. Because he didn't love me like that. Um, and I, going into it, was like, he doesn't love me like that. But I think I can make him love me like that. And so... It was 18 years of like him just not feeling it and me trying and failing to make him feel that. And and then toward the end too like then I just like kind of stopped trying. I was like, "Okay." Um, but yeah. So it in in hindsight, it absolutely makes sense because we didn't connect that way. Like we weren't close. We weren't um we weren't like vulnerable with each other. We didn't have like those deep conversations with each other. We, um, and so it makes all kinds of sense to me that he turned to that. It makes every, It makes all kinds of sense to me. Um. It didn't make it less devastating. <laughs> and at the time, I really could not wrap my mind around the fact that it had nothing to do with me. Um. Like it affected me. I couldn't. But I couldn't see past that. That it. Also, I just think, good Lord, we should have gotten, we should have split up so many times. (laughs) Um, Because staying together, nothing was getting fixed, staying together.
1: So porn was his way to cope with sort of the incompatibility. Mm -hmm. Was there, what was sort of your way to cope with that?
0: So I ended up having an affair Um, after he'd, he'd been sick for a while. And it's very cliche. It's very, I never meant for this to happen. I never went looking for it, that whole thing. Um, Very cliche. But that's how it happened. And um, so he went, you know, he went looking for all the things missing. And looked for that and kind of found porn for a long time. And then... I went and found, you know, someone telling me I was nice and a good mom and a funny person and had, you know, all that stuff that was missing that I wasn't getting in my marriage, you know, found that for it was really short lived. But um, yeah, so we both had our own versions of, you know, looking for what we weren't getting outside of it. Um, and for me, that meant, you know, someone to talk to, someone to have deep conversations with and talk about deep things with and, um, you know, things that John and I just didn't ever have. For me, that's what was lacking. And that's what I got.
1: What did time together when you were alone? Because it's easy to be with people couple friends and kids and all that stuff is way easier because there's so many buffers what did time alone look like
0: um what was
1: there was there sort of like a fake it till you make it like where you were actually both just going through motions or was it just an immediate shutdown you both doing your separate things when you were like like alone in bed or alone on the couch or like you know that kind of thing mm
0: -hmm. um when things were good um, cause you know, we, we, it was like, it was up and down. Like it was, you know, there was a cycle to it. Um, and so when things were good and functioning, um, we could talk about movies. We could talk about, you know, like our neighbors and like friends at church and things they were doing. Like we had enough things, um, we had enough people in common, enough activities in common, enough, um, you know, I don't want to say surface because friends aren't surface, but. um,
1: There were enough topics of conversation.
0: There were enough topics of conversation that we, yeah. So we could even like, we would go away like without the kids and have things to talk about. Um, But yeah, it was always talking about other. It wasn't really talking about one another or things together. It was always talking about, you know, other people. It was external, not internal. Yep. yep. Mm. Yeah.
1: And how did the. So, was there a shift once he got sick? Obviously, being the wife and especially being a Mormon wife, you were shifted into the role of caretaker. Right. Did that change your relationship at all for the better, or was it. Did it just make it more of the same?
0: It made it absolutely. It absolutely changed it. Um, it became. I think it put a new found. Um, he had a newfound appreciation for me, I think, because I then took care of him, which he was very grateful for that, you know, that I was there and, and really, and took care of him like day to day. Um, and there were days when like days at, you know, stretches at a time when he wouldn't get out of bed or couldn't get off the bathroom floor or, and, like, I would, like, physically take care of him. And so I think he there was definitely an element of of he was grateful for that. Um, again, still not necessarily, you know, the kind of, like, romantic love. It's like, oh, thank you. Like, we, it turned into a different dynamic of codependence. <laughs> so where before when he was well, we had this weird codependence where I couldn't really leave like as much as we talked about leaving I was I had no job skills like I'm married super young um I have no like marketable job skills no way to make like you know really like make money or support myself or anything so I felt like physically unable to leave um and so we had a weird codependent thing that way where like he kind of knew he had me um and i just kind of knew i couldn't like we both knew i couldn't really leave um and it switched to once he got sick then it's like a different kind of codependence where it's like well now i can't leave because he leaves a sick husband like who does that um and but weirdly he had a a different appreciation for me because he didn't super appreciate like the mom and wife thing so much because i didn't do it very well um and so, not up to like, you know, Mormon standards, I think, or whatever. I don't know. Um, so, but he had a newfound appreciation for me once he got sick. Um, but also he got angrier. Like he got, um, he got really angry. Angry at, you know, because he was sick for seven, almost eight years. And so, um, there was, you know, definitely just angered God and it the universe and it like why me and um, so that made it even more difficult.
1: And was it kind of fueled by were the thoughts of "I can't stay here, I can't be with him, I can't do this anymore, still there, but, and just covered up by the by the thought you just said? but who leaves a sick husband or did you just completely shut those thoughts out at all? I, this needs to end.
0: Um, I shut it out because I, like at that point I was like, well, I I can't, I can't leave now. And so it turned into, um, you, you know, the, the sicker he got, um, and he would have his sickness kind of went in, in cycles as well, where he would at times be well enough to work, uh, and would be okay. Not okay, but, you know, well enough to, like, still hold down his job, still go in. Um, he would... But at that point, he was on painkillers and a bunch of stuff that kind of helped him function. But then he started kind of abusing those. Um, and which I saw, but I was like, you know what? Like, this is... He's living, like, he's doing kind of what he has to do to function. He seems happier this way because like he would save up things and then come home and like take them all at night <laughs> and just kind of like zone out. Um, and I was like and I, I it went from me kind of hoping or thinking that eventually I would or, you know, figuring out like, oh, the timing just has to be right. I don't know, like for me to be able to leave. It went from that kind of thinking to I just totally like enabled all kinds of shitty behavior. Cause I'm like, this is what he's doing to get by. And I'm just kind of like, going to like, I will take care of him physically and whatever, but I just have to kind of do mentally what I got to do to like be in this. So I would like, I would, I totally enabled him. Um, because it made him happier to, to do
1: that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you feel at all like you had any authority to say to, to, To say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, or hey, you should do this, or was it he was still kind of running the ship?
0: He was in that I was afraid to, I was kind of, because he was angry, (laughs) I was kind of afraid to, like, go against him or, you know, rock the boat too much because I knew that he, you know, could get super angry. But there were times when, like, I absolutely knew he shouldn't be driving, and things like that. And I would go in and talk to you, bless my therapist. <laughs> I went to the same therapist for a long, long time. Like I was seeing him like years before, you know, John got sick. So he, he already knew the dynamics of our relationship. And then like before he got sick. And so um, like he kind of, my therapist knew like the whole overall everything of our relationship. And so he was like, you, you need to hide his keys. And I was like, I can't hide his keys. Like he's he's gonna know I hid his keys, and then he's gonna be like super angry, and he's like he's gonna kill somebody or he's gonna kill himself, and then you're gonna feel like that's on you. And so, um, I but I still never did. I hope that like when he was like, hey, I'm gonna like go do something, and I knew I was like he should not be driving. I was like, I'll go. Like don't worry, I'm I was gonna go get something anyway, and like I would just try to get him to. But I was always just too scared to hide his keys. Mm-hmm. But like one night in particular, he was super out of it and got up out of bed and got dressed and came out in the kitchen with his backpack and it was 9 p.m. But he thought it was 9 a.m. and he was trying to go to work. And at that point, I like just blocked him and was like, it is not time to go to work. It's time for you to like go back and get in bed stay in bed like and i was just like angry at him at that point i was just like how can you be like this out of it and still you know up and walking around and whatever and he was like and i felt bad because his face like when he kind of realized he's like you don't have to be mean to me and like i thought he was gonna cry and then like you turn around and like walked back and went to the bedroom and i felt so bad but then he didn't remember the next day that any of that had happened so um um yeah, but I I went from being kind of like mousy and letting him run the show that way to enabling and letting him run the show that way. Mm-hmm. So,
1: as far as your thoughts go mm-hmm. during this whole thing, because no matter how, I I think there's always a level of when you're with somebody and it's not great, is there just like what is the thing that will make this go away? You know, right. Were there thoughts like that?
0: I totally had, yeah. So I totally had thoughts like that. There would so at several. So he had he had been in inpatient rehab twice um, to get off all of the medications he was on. But at several different points, this is over years of of medication. Um, but at several different times, he was on like OxyContin. And fentanyl patch and Ativan for like acute anxiety. Um, And any one of those (laughs) is enough to like make you pretty loopy. He was on like all three at the same time. So um, there were time and he would kind of like save things up like through the daytime and then take them. That was like his reward at nighttime for like getting through the day was that he would come home and like take a bunch of stuff and I there were a few times more than a few times there were a lot of times um when I would see him sleeping and I would like go and see if he was breathing because I wasn't sure because he was sleeping so deeply that I was like I can't tell if he's breathing um and I would go and check and there were totally those split second times when I would like check and I would be like, like he could be gone peacefully. Like, this could be over. Like, this could, you know, like, finally... Because there was... We knew that he would eventually die from what he had, but he could also... He could also have lived for, like, another 20 years. Like, it, we just had no idea. And so... Um, but there was totally... All of those times when... Day-to-day was so brutal and depressing that i was like oh my gosh and this could go on for another 20 years and then also he's my eternal companion so also this is actually forever and but just that thought of like or like maybe he passed quietly like maybe that. like maybe this is done maybe this is like where we both like step off this ride like maybe this is like and so there were totally those times when you're secretly wishing for that, like you're secretly wishing for for it to somehow be over, for it to be different, for just for just all of it to be to be different and over.
1: Were you uh, finding yourself in bouts of depression during this time?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Like,
1: how did it manifest itself?
0: <laughs> and I didn't even. When, the thing about depression is because I've had depression since I was a teenager. So through, you know, like my later teens, all through adulthood, um, on and off. And so, but but the thing is when you're in a deep depression, you don't really recognize how bad it is when you're in it until you're out of it and you look back and you're like, wow. Um, And so I totally was. Um, and I knew I was and I was on, you know, I was in therapy and I was on medications and, you know, I felt like I was doing everything I could. Um, you know, we talked a lot about self-care, you know, go get some pedicures like that's going to like make everything OK. Like do some yoga. But like when you can't change the when you can't change the big picture of what your day to day is like, you can't change the big glaring things that are there um it's not you know like yeah i can go make my toenails like cute it's not gonna make any of this better like it's not gonna um i was like totally already like pulling away from my church and like not i'm like well i don't believe in this anymore either so like that was not bringing me comfort at all um there was i don't i can't even i can't describe how it was depressing to think this was how life was going to be forever. This was, this was how it was going to be. And then after he died, then once I died, we got to also do that forever. Like good Lord. I wanted to run into traffic. I can't, I can't even explain how depressed I was super depressed. Yeah.
1: Can you talk about, uh, the divorce talk? That finally came to a head. So. And sort of your expectations for like after yeah. the
0: divorce. Okay. So um, a few months before he passed away, he passed away in December of 2016. In September of 2016, um, things really escalated in a few different ways his anxiety and his depression over being sick were really bad um his abuse of his medications was really bad um and you know there were hospital stints and um mental hospital a mental hospital stint um and it finally got to the point where for he was out of the house and in hospitals for like a month, I think, three weeks. Um, and at that point, he was out of the house for long enough that I was aware of the fe- how the feeling in the house changed when he wasn't there. Um, and man, I felt guilty about it, but I was like, it for the first time in years does not feel like we are all walking around on eggshells like we are not there's no angry there's no there's like just less like depressed angry and like anxious angry and just like that was that was gone and um i was the thought of him coming like getting out of the hospital and coming back home made me want to like physically throw up <laughs> like the thought of him coming back and so and I also knew that things had gotten really bad right before he went into the hospital to where I was like he can't come home like this um and so I just told him I'm like until you get off all of your pain meds like you can't come home and so when he got out of the hospital he went and stayed with his parents who lived one street over so he was you know still really close um and and was staying there with them um and then still like in talking to him something changed went for me when he was out of the house and I finally got a glimpse of what it like what it would be like if we weren't together and I was like oh my gosh like I have a chance here to save myself to save my kids from this because I tried to buffer a lot of stuff I tried to be a buffer between he and the kids. I feel like the kids didn't know a lot of what was happening. Like I kind of like, you know, kind of muted things around what was happening with that, and just you know, just to kind of so they weren't stressed out about it. But I can't do that forever. I couldn't do that forever. Um, and when I really, you know, when I really got that idea, like this, this is what the house could feel like. This, like, this is what you know, um. There could be a life like where he and I are not together and it feels so much better and it feels like this. Um, And so, yeah, like we finally when he was at, he was like, I, he was asking to come home. I was like, nope, you can't come home. And I mean, I think I was like really trying to like set boundaries, which was a new thing. (laughs) And he was like, what's happening? And um, I was like, nope, you can't come home till you're like done with this. And what was the reasoning that you um, told
1: him? For not wanting him in the house? <sighs>
0: um, the medications that he was on. Was it? Yeah. And so I, I told him he had to be off, like, all of his payments before he came back. I'm like, you have to go through rehab again, or, you know, you have to figure out something, taper off, whatever. Um, but you cannot come back in this house, like, on all, like, on your oxy and, you know, fentanyl, just freaking everything that he's on. Um,
1: Because of the way he was acting out and the way... Yep. Was it that the same stuff where, yep. you know, you were worried he was going to hurt himself or yep. somebody else?
0: Yep. So, um, he, yeah, he was suicidal. Um, you know, that was part of the mental hospital stint. And so I was like, think, yeah, something, things were going to escalate. Um, and so I was like, you, you can't come home. And then, and then I realized I didn't want him to come home. I'm like, actually, this is better um so at that point I just kind of like pulled the shoot like for the kids and I and like because he was pushing coming home and I went and I you know I went over to his parents one night and we had we had the talk where he was like I just feel like you know you don't even want me there and I don't feel, and I was like this is where this is what I can do right now like I'm giving you all I can give you right now and like I'm sorry if it's not enough like I'm sorry if and um Anyway, so we had the talk, and I just told him I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you want a divorce? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> like he made me say it. I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, and so that was in November, and then he passed away four weeks later. Um, still staying, he was at his parents. He was still staying at his parents. Um, and yeah, they just they they found him there um I got the call from his mom one night one evening and she told me that you know they had they'd found him and they were the police were there and and the you know fire trucks everybody was there so I went over and for the first little while um no one said anything. We were all just completely... Everybody was distraught. We were, we were all distraught. And he has a very big family. Um, and we were just all crying. Um, it took probably two hours... For the police to... Con- contact his doctors. Um, count his pills go through everything to make sure that he, to determine whether or not he had committed suicide. And it wasn't said, <laughs> but me being in that house, his his family was already, you know, just I was on the outs with his family um, over us divorcing. Um, and I knew that if it came out that he, you know, had taken too many pills, had, you know, If he had committed suicide, like, that was on me. And I know intellectually that would not have been on me, but I would spend every day of the rest of my life guaranteed trying to convince myself that that was not on me. And it took a couple hours for the cops to go through everything, find out what he was on, count everything he had, and figured out that that he hadn't. That's not what that was. Um... He'd actually, he died, of, he had a blood clot in his lung. Um. But I don't, <laughs> that is, I don't know. That is the biggest blessing I've thought a million times of what, what would have happened if it would have come out, you know, come up that he would have taken his own life that night. But
1: what do you remember about that night going forward? telling your kids sleeping (laughs) like the next 24 hours. What did that look like?
0: They, there's a grief counselor who comes with the police, um, when someone dies and they come to a residence, uh, and she was there. I was kind of aware of her, you know, that there was like the stranger there and her job is to just kind of like take you by the shoulders and kind of explain to you like what needs to happen um because you're just i was in shock like i just i had no i had no idea what to do um and she just you know she looked at me and she said you need to go home you tell your kids tonight she's like you tell them you know you go home like tell them immediately she's like and then you immediately turn around and find something to distract them she's like you have friends come over they go to a movie they like they do something else she's like that way they're processing um but they're not fixated on you know uh, disinformation that they just got hit with which my kids um You know, John had been in the hospital so many times and had almost died several times. So it was like, um, I don't know, you know, it it wasn't a complete shock, um, and yet it was. But um, Deacon, my youngest, um, had already gotten to the point where, you know, he was seven. Um, Anytime I said, like, you know guys like i need to talk to you or something it was always like did dad die he would ask me that like, did dad die and so that night i left john's parents house went back over to my own house took john's parents with me they're like we'll come over and you know talk to the kids with you um and i walked in and my oldest wasn't there he was across the street at his friend's house and so i had to wait until they were all together and i said guys i have to talk to you like you know I was texting Jake and I was like, Come you know, you need to come home and talk to you guys and Deacon kept saying, What, did dad die? Did dad die? Like and I couldn't answer him <laughs> because I wanted them to be all together. Um and so I was just like just I was like, just hang on buddy, like just you know, hang on. Like I just I need to talk to you. But he could tell something was like I had obviously been crying. John's parents had obviously been crying, you know, we were all and it, it it was a weird vibe. Um but yeah, when they were all three together then I did and said, yeah, like, daddy died. Um, and it was weird, like, how, you know, who cried and who didn't and who, because um, it feels surreal. And it's not a shock, and yet it is. It's, you know, it's, they knew that this could be coming at any point, and yet you don't, he had been sick for so long that it's kind of in the back of your mind that it's like, yeah, he has this, but, like, but he's actually just going to be sick forever. He's actually not going to die. He's just going to be sick forever. Um, and, yeah. And then just and then immediately, you know, they, we had friends come over and, um, you know, they were crying. But we had, we had friends to kind of come over and, like, soften the blow. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't tell anyone else that night. I didn't call my mom that night. I didn't tell anybody that night. Because it had already been like an emotional couple of hours, where I'm like, I can't start all over and do this again with new people. <laughs> like I can't have this conversation again. Like I've, um, so I just, um, I, I fell asleep that night, and I called everyone the next morning and told them, like everyone, like in in my family, um, yeah.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how the funeral went? What that experience <laughs> was for you. <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, so funeral planning <laughs> was terrible. It was it was just like a week of hell. Um
1: because now you have to plan a funeral with a family that knows you were on the outs.
0: Yes. So his family and it sucks because it's a really big family, and so I felt very intimidated, very outnumbered. Um but they turned on me like Immediately like when I you know when it came out that like he and I were getting divorced. So his family his whole family knew uh, We were divorcing Not many of our friends did a handful of other people knew but his family knew um, and so In their in their mind um, Because you know we it had been through you know three four weeks since we decided to divorce like I should have like no say in anything <laughs> Um, I have now just, you know, given up my, given up all rights to everything. Um, and so it was a lot of aggressive anger, which I get that they, I understand, I understand that they're grieving. I understand that, um, in their mind, you know, from my perspective, he, we had a very problematic marriage from their perspective, he was this golden child son, (laughs) who, you know, had been dealt this really bum hand in life, um, you know, died far too young. He was super bright. He was... So I understand their perspective. Like, I completely understand their perspective. They were hurting. They were angry. Um, You know, they're angry at me. I was a real convenient place to put all that. Um, And so I I get it. Um, But also, I was... I was so depressed and so in shock and so everything that I just I had no wherewithal to like stand up for myself or fight for myself or any of that. And so I just kind of went along with a lot of things funeral wise, even though I know it's not things he would have wanted. I couldn't find I found like a month after the funeral, the actual letter that he wrote that I knew existed, but I couldn't find it. Um, well, you know, saying all the things that he wanted. And, you know, I, I remember feeling so bad about that that it was like a month after the funeral. And, like, here's this list of things that, that didn't happen. And it's like, I just cried over that. But, um, so, you know, there were, that put an even bigger wedge between his family and I. And then it started to kind of put a wedge between, like, my kids and his family because my kids knew. You know, this is the suit he wants to be buried in. He'd said that a bunch of times. Um, so they knew the suit he wanted to be buried in. But, you know, John's parents wanted him to be, like, buried in his temple clothes because that's, you know, like religious custom. That's what you do. And so um, things like that that were, um, you know, in, in retrospect, I just kind of, I sat my kids down and was like, okay, <laughs> funerals are for the survivors, not for who's died daddy doesn't care um so i was like he'll be buried in his temple clothes is fine i'm like how about we fold the suit you know we put it in the bottom of the casket like you know by his feet i'm like when he's resurrected like <laughs> he sits up you know like a zombie as we all do when we're, resur- when we're resurrected i guess and he's like happy like he's stoked because he's wearing his temple clothes so, like his mom's happy and then he looks down and there's like his dope favorite suit that he can like put on to walk around i don't know what the hell we do that day um but and then and the kids and I just kind of laughed at that but the funeral is for the funerals for the living it's for the survivors it's to give them some ounce of comfort and you know I told the kids that I'm like dad would much rather his mom be comforted and happy and a peace that like she thinks this is what's supposed to happen daddy wants that more than he wants to like be wearing a suit dad doesn't care if he's wearing a suit. Um, and so stuff like that, where I made all kinds of concessions and at first I felt really crappy and kind of like bulldozed. And, but at the same time, I'm like, this is, you know, this is his family. who's like really, really hurting. Just let them have what they want. Like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. So much stuff. I realized I'm like, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter.
1: As far as the funeral went, did you find yourself feeling, because typically the wife is the one that everyone looks to you know, at funerals. Mm-hmm. But given your circumstances and how many people knew about them, um, did you feel... Or how did you feel?
0: Like I said, his, so his family knew. And probably, I don't know, three or four of our close friends knew. Neighbors. Um, like church leaders knew, knew that, the, knew that, knew that, that we were getting were divorced. Separating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> the day of the funeral um, in the actual like viewing room beforehand um I was on one side of the room with the kids and like my mom my sister um and then John's whole family was on like the other side of the room and there's like a lot of them <laughs> and so to me it was like glaringly obvious that we you know that we were separate um however in hindsight funerals have weird vibes anyway no one's picking on that like funerals are just one big weird vibe so i i doubt anyone picked up on anything um but and it worked out fine because you know the kids and i represented john's life like adult life um and his whole family kind of represented everyone from like his childhood and like you know teenage years and stuff and so it was interesting watching people come in and they would like, like come through and talk to all of us but then you know people that knew K- john when he was a kid would stand on that side and like talk to his parents and you know his siblings and then you know other the people from his adult life would stand on our side and kind of you know talk to us and so it it actually worked out okay to where I don't think it felt too strange, but, um, to where I don't think people picked up on that. <laughs> They're really bad juju between, you know, his family and me, uh, that day. But, um, it was super weird. Uh, you know, I, I had a friend, you know, come who, who didn't know, she had known John and I since, like, we were... Since we're dating, since we first met, um, you know, we're friends with her whole family, and she was saying to me, you know, you guys are like, (laughs) she's like, you guys are like Jim and Pam. You guys are like the Jim and Pam in the office. You're like so funny, and you're, you know, you guys were like soulmates, and this is like so, so crushing. Like she was so upset, um, and I felt like that whole. (laughs) That whole day talking to people over and over about how I had just lost like my best friend and my soulmate. I felt like the biggest fraud and I couldn't tell anybody. You can't tell people as they're coming through, like giving you condolences. Like, actually, our marriage was like really garbagey and super unhealthy. And I was crazy depressed and unhappy. And we were getting divorced. Like, you can't say those things. So it's like, you you just, like, nod and, like, you say thank you. But, like, but I could feel his parents, like, just shooting daggers at me. Because I'm, like, accepting all of this, like, sympathy. And what they feel is just, like, totally, like, I don't deserve any of this. Like, I don't, you know, in, in their minds, I didn't deserve any of that. And I felt... That whole day felt so shitty. It just felt so shitty getting sympathy from people when I was sad. I was so sad. I was sad for my kids. I was sad that they lost their dad. I was sad that this idea I had that like we were going to get divorced and things were going to be really bad for a while, but then like he was going to find someone better for him and I was going to find someone better for me. Like things were supposed to like eventually work out to be better like that was my whole my whole thing was like this was gonna like actually work out better (laughs) this was like a good hard left in our lives and instead he died and everything just froze shitty and I I didn't know what to do with that I was standing there in that room not knowing what to do with that and people were giving me sympathy and I need sympathy but like not the kind that people are giving me because they don't have an accurate picture of what's happening but also people wouldn't know what to do with that anyway like how do you give condolences to to someone who he wasn't my soulmate but like he was the father of my children and he was the person that like i really tried to make things work with for almost two decades like it's it's not nothing um and so it's very it's very complicated i don't know um but man, that day sucked. That was that was the worst day. The funeral was the worst day.
1: What has life been like since? Because a lot of this your this story has been, as it's, you know, this is what the podcast is. But it's heavy and it's a lot of stuff that people don't talk about. Um, what has your sort of I'm not trying to direct you to like it gets better, but like what is sort of your postscript to all this leading into why, why does this podcast exist? Why the name?
0: I had, I had an acquaintance uh, whose husband passed away uh, a little bit earlier than mine. I found out that like their marriage had not been great. Which was a thing you would never guess through social media, which was a thing that you know, people didn't know that either. It's not uncommon. <laughs> it's not an uncommon thing. Um for marriages to you know, when when your spouse dies, your marriage is in like a real shit spot. Um it's not uncommon to feel a sense of relief that comes with it. Um It's not uncommon for, I had more than one friend of mine (laughs) tell me, like, oh, I've totally wondered, you know, they're in not great, one's going through a divorce now, Um, and they've told me, oh my gosh, I totally wondered, like, what it would be like if, like, if he would just die, like, if my husband would just die, like, how it would... Not that you want your spouse to die a terrible, horrible death, but that thing of, like, when your life is terrible, it's like, what is the easiest way, what is the path of the least resistance to, like, making, like, these horrible, depressing days stop? How, you know, how, what's the easiest way to make things different, to make things, I'm finding out from talking to people that it's so, it's not an uncommon thought to have, um, you know a, a friend of mine whose husband passed away she's you know when she actually had people say to her like why could, you know I thought like why couldn't that be my husband um and so i'm finding out that people who are in crazy unhappy marriages it's not an uncommon thought um and when you're in something that is really not healthy and really not happy um And then your spouse does pass away. Like there is a feeling of relief that comes. I had a feeling of relief that came because I, I knew that I had just dodged a bullet that the anger he had, that he had always had, that had gotten worse with his illness, uh, was about to really double down. And I knew that like our divorce was going to be really ugly and really bad. Um, and I was bracing for that when he died. And so there was a total sense of relief from that, um, which I felt crazy guilty about, um, because no one told me (laughs) that these are like normal Mm -hmm. feelings to have, that that is not, it doesn't make me a horrible person, um, to have that feeling. Um, And so the podcast is for that. The podcast is because I know there are people in similar situations who need to hear from my story, from other stories, that that is very common and very normal and very okay um, to have, you know, those feelings of relief or, you know, whatever that also come alongside that grief and loss and, oh my gosh, the guilt. Like, there's so much guilt Uh, their survivor guilt and then just the i personally have the guilt of of i feel somehow responsible like if i would have like oh well what if i would have ended things earlier and then he would have had that time to like find someone who would actually make him happy but instead i like enabled and like stuck with this thing that was that made us both miserable for so long that i mean you know whatever i can what if until the end of time but um so that's why the podcast um cuz i feel like there are people that need to hear it and then the name comes from this whole my whole marriage um you know the, the problems i had in my marriage before he got sick i couldn't talk about because it felt like a betrayal like i was betraying his confidence to talk about the problems that we had because you know a lot of them were his problems um that he was super embarrassed about and So, I couldn't talk about how unhappy I was then. And then he got sick, and I couldn't talk about how unhappy I was because, of course, he's angry. Like, look at what's happened to him. Of course, you know, he's, of course, you're depressed. Look, you're a caregiver now. Like, that's, you know, there was, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it or not complain about it, but there's a sense of like, you just, you know, you're not allowed to like really. be honest about things in that situation and then once he passed away then it's like then you definitely can't talk about those things because once people you know once people pass away we kind of revere them and there's this this sense of you know you don't talk about any of the bad stuff because I don't know why I don't know if it's because you know they're not here to defend themselves or um I don't know why but there's a sense of you know we kind of like put people who passed away like on a pedestal like we put our loved ones on a pedestal and um so I felt like I'm like when do I get to talk when do I get to um get any of this out because honestly the only way to get through all of this shit I had been through for several decades was to talk like the one thing I needed to do was talk and process and say it and there was never a time when it felt okay to say it and I'm like I'm gonna say it now I'm going to talk about it now. It's time to talk about it now. So I'm going to talk about it now. This has been episode one of Are We Allowed to Talk About This Yet? Special thanks to Nick Flora for interview and production help, as well as all of his pep talks urging me to open my mouth and speak. On the next episode, I'll have a conversation with a licensed counselor about the grief process. Join us by subscribing on iTunes or Spotify.